Now, friends, we've come to the last part of Second Thessalonians. Now, here again is an epistle that took us right up to the clouds, looking into the air for the coming of the Lord. And this, a great many people think, is not practical. But you see, you may be looking up, but you better also watch your walk down here, because that's important. And we have seen here now that believers should be established in the Word, that is, the Word of God. And we saw that in the last part of chapter 2. Now, in chapter 3 here, we have in the first seven verses, believers should be established in their walk. And then the last part of this chapter, from verses 8 through 18, believers should be established in their work. You see, it's one thing to keep looking up. It's another thing to keep on keeping on down here. And you better also look down every now and then to see how your walk is. And look down at the Word of God. And look down at the work that you're doing. We have a little saying, several of us here in Southern California, that are Christians, we play golf together a great deal. And I always say to them when they look up, that's one of the worst things in golf, The tendency is to look up. The natural man always wants to see how good he's doing and looks up to see where the ball is going. Well, I say to them, I said, as a Christian, you'd look up. But as a golfer, you'd look down, keep your eye on the ball. And as a Christian today, living in this world, we should keep our eye on the Word of God, on our walk down here, and on our work down here. Now, he's going to talk about the walk. We talked last time about the Word of God. And in that, he said something that was quite wonderful. He used to comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. And this has to do with loyalty to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he spoke in this section of a marvelous position that we have in Christ. We are chosen to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit, and we are called of God by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that's heady stuff. That really is exciting, and that is rather thrilling. But now, Paul says there's certain responsibilities that you have as a believer that you now are to walk down here in a way that will discharge your responsibility as a believer. And, as Paul put it in Ephesians, walk worthy of the high calling wherewith you're called. That's what Paul is saying here. Now, as he begins here in chapter 3, verse 1, I'm reading now. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you, and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for all men have not faith. Now, what he's saying here is this. The word 
enables the believer to walk before the wicked world. The Word establishes a believer in his walk. And now, he says, finally, brethren. He's coming to the end of the epistle. Finally, brethren, pray for us. And that is something that every believer can engage in. Prayer, I don't think, is a gift of the Spirit. Prayer is something that all believers should do. And every work, if it is to succeed, is to have prayer back of it. Every successful evangelist and preacher of the Word and teacher of the Word that is being used of God has people back of him praying for him. And Paul is asking the Thessalonians for prayer in this respect, that the Word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you. Now, Paul had a unique ministry. He was a missionary. He was an evangelist. He was an evangelist as we think of it today. Actually, the word in the New Testament means missionary. And also, he was a pastor and a teacher of the word. He fulfilled all of those offices. And he had done the same thing in Thessalonica. He led them to the Lord. He taught them. And now he acts as a pastor in these letters that he's writing to them, not only instructing them in the Word, but he is also attempting to comfort them and also to counsel them. And here's one of the things he enjoins them to do. He says, pray for us and pray that the Word of God may have free course. Now, may I be very practical with this? We today stand on the threshold of a door that is breathtaking to me. It's something that I really hold my breath when I even think of broadcasting the through the Bible in South America. And as we've turned our eyes toward the east, the far east, I should say, here in California, you've got to look west to see the far east into China and in that entire area. These are great days. These are glorious days. And I just want to bring this right down and put it in shoe leather, right where you are, right where I am right now. And that is, finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course today and be glorified even as it is with you, and that the word of God may be exalted It troubles me, it worries me to see that even those who claim to believe the Word of God give so little attention to the Word of God. And if you believe it's the Word of God, let's get in it and find out what it says. Now, notice, he says, "...and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for all men have not..." Now, it's not faith, it's the faith. They have not the faith. That is, they do not hold to the doctrines of the apostles that they taught, that the church rests upon. The foundation is the doctrines that these men have given to the church. And this is something that's very important, and we should teach and preach this. Now, 
Your pastor needs your prayers. I want to say this, and I want to say it carefully, and I know something about what it is to be a pastor, and I know what it is to be out and be a Bible teacher going around holding conferences. Now, I want to be very frank with you. It's lots easier to go around and hold conferences. You see, a pastor has great responsibility today. And very frankly, he's dealing with a great many folk that are unreasonable. That's what Paul says here, that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. And did you know in the church there are wicked men? And a pastor needs to be delivered from these folk. And he needs prayer that he might give out the Word of God. Now, a friend of mine, years ago, he's now gone to be with the Lord. He was a pastor, and he would say, I am not an obstetrician, I'm a pediatrician. Well, I've said that. I believe that I'm not an obstetrician, although I'm amazed at the number of letters we get from people that the radio brings them to the Lord. And I ought not to say radio. The Word of God given over the radio is bringing them to a saving knowledge of Christ. That's the work of an evangelist. And I think that if you give out the Word of God, that that work will be performed. And it is being. But I feel like that I'm more of a pediatrician. Now, after all, the obstetrician, I think he has the easiest job. Very frankly, he brings the little baby into the world. (laughs) And that's great. That's quite an undertaking, of course. But he turns him over then to the pediatrician. And it's the pediatrician that's got to see about the diet. He's got to burp him. And he has to change his diapers. He's the one that has to deal with cantankerous saints. And he has quite a job. My heart goes out to the pastor. I go many places and hold conferences for some wonderful men in wonderful churches. In fact, that's about the only kind of churches that I want to go to is where there is a man preaching and teaching the Word of God that stands for the things of God. And on the other side of the coin, that's about the only kind of man that'll have me in his pulpit today. And I like it that way. But I leave many churches. We were driving away some time ago, my wife and I, and I said to her, we've had a wonderful ministry here at this church for the week. And I've been here just long enough. I think these people are wonderful. And they think I am. We didn't get acquainted with each other, see, too much. I left just at the right time before they got acquainted with me. And I left. We'd had a wonderful ministry. I think I helped the pastor. He says I did. I've had several letters from him now, and he tells me what the ministry meant. But you want to know something? He's the one that's carrying the burden and the load there. He's the one that has the problems today. And I've really walked away from it. And very frankly, I think the evangelist and the Bible teacher today, the itinerant Bible teacher, like some of us are, it's easy for us, comparatively speaking, to the man who is the pastor. And Paul here is saying that we might be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. Actually, I find that the gospel and the Word of God is hindered more today 
by people in the church than by any other method or any other thing. I've never had a bar room or the liquor interests ever attack me, and the gangsters have never attacked me. At least I've never known about it. But I have had so-called saints, and I think that in our churches today we have saints and ain'ts, and a lot of ain'ts today. And they give you a rough time, by the way. And it's too bad that we all can't just settle down and give out the Word of God. Now, friends, I've spent time with this for this reason, that it's one thing to hold the truth of the coming of Christ, to love his appearing. It's another thing to walk worthy of that great truth. And that's what Paul's talking about here. Let's prove it by our relationship to the Word of God, our relationship to our walk down here. How are we going to walk here? Now he goes on to say, verse 3, "...but the Lord is faithful." And that's so wonderful. I find out I've let him down on several occasions, but he never let me down. He's faithful. He's always faithful. The Lord is faithful, who shall establish you and keep you from evil. And my friend, this is something that I believe that many of us that are professing Christians that we ought to hold to tenaciously is this little verse here. The Lord's faithful. He'll establish you. And today, Christians need to be established. Right now, the home is in disarray. The church is in disarray. And the lives of believers are in disarray. We need to be established. How can you be established? By coming to the Word of God and let it have its influence in your life. And only the Word of God will keep you from evil. Someone has said the Bible will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from the Bible. Now, verse 4, "...and we have confidence in the Lord touching you, that ye both do and will do the things which we command you." Now, friends, Christians are commanded to do certain things. And there are commandments for Christians. We saw that in the first epistle. In chapter 5 there, there were 22 commandments. Don't stop with ten. Let's get 22 of them there. And these are things that believers are to do. Now, the Lord Jesus said, If you love me, keep my commandments. These are his commandments. Now, Paul had confidence in the Lord touching them, that he committed them to the Lord, that they would both do and will do the things which we command you. That is... This church that had a wonderful testimony would continue to maintain that testimony. Now he says, "...and the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patient waiting for Christ." Now, the believer is to walk in the love of God and in a patient waiting for the coming of Christ. And friends, if you are walking today in the love of God, in the sunshine of his love, where the love of God's shed abroad in your heart, you know he loves you, and he does, and that you can manifest that love by the power of the Spirit, because only the Spirit of God can make God's love real to us, and 
the fruit of the Spirit is love. And it manifests itself. You can't naturally love every Tom, Dick, and Harry, and I'm of the opinion we're not supposed to. Paul had said to the Philippians that our love today is to be in judgment. And therefore, we are to be very careful about our love for those round about us there, those that would hurt us if we're not careful. And we better be careful if we open our arms to some, they'll stab us in the back. Now, and in a patient waiting for the coming of Christ. Now, this is not a doctrine that you argue about whether you're premillennial, you're pre-trib, post-trib, amillennial. It's today in the patient waiting for the coming of Christ. And that's a nice place to be, by the way. Oh, these are such lovely verses. Every one of them is a wonderful verse. And they're so wonderful that it can be said of these, as it was said, I think, of the writing of Shelley, that every word, if you would cut it, it would bleed. <laughs> How true that is here. Now, notice verse 6. Now we command you, brethren. Paul doesn't beat around the bush. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly and not after the tradition or the doctrine which ye received of us. Now, the believer is not to walk with the disorderly. This idea today that, oh, I must go over, and in fact, we had a few here in Southern California a few years ago that said that they should go in the bar rooms and witness and sit down with the drunkard, and even some said you ought to have a can of beer with him and that sort of thing. And I happen to know of a young lady that became an alcoholic by following that type of thing. God says you're to let the disorderly alone. You can witness to them without going into a bar room and sitting down. You don't have to congregate with them in their evil doings. God makes that very clear here, that we are not to follow. Know how ye ought to follow us, for we behave not ourselves disorderly among you. Well, birds of a feather flock together. My friend, if that's the kind of crowd you're going to run with, that's the kind of person that you are. And we need to be very careful today about the company that we keep and about the folk that we associate with. It's very important. Now, this is something Paul has said to them, that they had to pray for him because Paul was being persecuted, having trouble. You see, the Thessalonians were being persecuted. They were having trouble. And at first, Paul comforts them, instructs them, and encourages them. And now he lets them know that he also is undergoing persecution, difficulty. If you stand for the Lord, why, it will cost you something. Now, we saw then the walk of the believer. Before, we had seen the Word of God in the life of the believer. And now the walk of the believer, because the Word of God should be in it. Now, we come to the work of the believer. And again, may I say, this is, I think, something very practical. It's something that's quite real. 
and something that we need today to get engaged in. That is, the Word of God, and that the Word of God may have its way in our hearts and in our lives. Now, as we come here to verse 8, and that is where we are, let me read it to you. Verse 8 of Second Thessalonians, the third chapter. Neither did we eat any man's bread for naught, that is, for nothing, but wrought with labor and travail night and day, that we might not be chargeable to any of you. Now, Paul's practice apparently was that when he went to a place and he was a missionary, that he would not let anyone there, and that especially applied, I think, to his first journey there, he would not let anyone support him. He would not let anyone pay him. And therefore, when Paul arrived in town as a missionary, there wasn't a reservation for him at the local motel, at the Howard Johnson Motel or the Holiday Inn or a Hilton Hotel. And there was no stipend given to him. They didn't take a love offering for him the first time that he was there. He was very careful, apparently, about that. He tells that to the Thessalonians, and you'll find him also to the Corinthians. And apparently it was his practice that to every place that he went in establishing the church, this was his policy, that he worked. He worked at tent making over in Corinth, you remember. Now I think that after the church was established, and Paul had visited it the second, third time, that he did receive an offering. Now, you find that he certainly makes it clear to the Galatians that they should give. He thanks the Philippians for their gift, and he took an offering on his third missionary journey for the poor saints in Jerusalem. And he didn't mind doing that, by the way. But this apparently was his policy. In other words, the great truth of the coming of Christ was not something that caused Paul to become some sort of a fanatic and take some unreasonable position. We've had people that did that back in the last century. Many people sold their homes, their property, and got white sheets and got on top of the roof waiting for the Lord to come. There's several things about that that always seem to me to be the mark of a fanatic. To begin with, why get on the roof? After all, he can take you up from the floor level as well as on the roof. And if the roof was any help to you to get up that high, then why not climb up in a tree that you could get up maybe 50 to 100 feet in the air? and maybe go to a mountaintop, that might be better. And why in the world you'd have a white sheet? I think the Lord's going to furnish us our uniform. I don't think we'll need to worry about that, but that's the way these people did. And why in the world did they sell that property and turn it into money? They didn't think they were going to carry that with them, I'm sure. People can do some very funny, peculiar things because... They say they believe in the soon coming of Christ. Now, my friend, there's nothing that's going to make you work as hard 
as that great truth. If you really believe it, you're going to work. You're going to be busy for the Lord in some phase of his work, in some part of the field today. You're going to be putting a few seed in the ground of the Word of God that it might bring forth a harvest, by the way. Now, Paul makes that clear. Now he says in verse 9, "...not because we have not power, but to make ourselves an ensample unto you to follow us." Now, Paul says we have the authority, and I think that's what he means here. He said, as an apostle that has come and has led you to the Lord, founded the church, we'd have a right, we have the authority to claim an offering. But we want to set you an example. And they did it as an example to the believers in Thessalonica, that they might not be led to some fanatical sort of a position. I had a young couple. They had been in my classes when I taught in the Institute. They were inclined toward fanaticism. To begin with, they were what I call super-duper saints. They felt like they were way out ahead of everyone else. And their exam papers, they always got a C or a D on their exam. They really didn't know the word, but... They affected the fact that they were very spiritual indeed. And friends, I don't think you can be spiritual and be ignorant of the Word of God at all. But they came to me after I became pastor, and they said they wanted to go to the mission field. And I asked them about support. They had attended the church I serve, but were not members. And I asked them about whether they had support. No. Well, I said, you mean you're going to the field without support? Oh, they said, we're going to trust the Lord. Well, I said, that's nice to trust the Lord, but can't you trust him over here as well as waiting till you get to the mission field and trusting him over there? Why not get your support here? Why not get under a reputable mission board and work with them? And why don't you do it in that way? And wouldn't that be trusting the Lord that if he's called you to go to the mission field, he'll raise up support for you and people will be interested in you and the Lord will lay upon their hearts and you'll have your support and a mission board you can work in under. They know the field. They know how to do the mission work. Oh, no, they weren't going that way. They trusted the Lord, they said. And they were going to the field. Well, they managed to get out to the field, and they became casualties. They had to be brought home. Friends raised money to bring them home from the field. Now, I don't suppose that's necessary for me to tell you that they were separated. They got a divorce, and she, I think, is married again. He's, I understand, lost his faith altogether, if he ever had any. I doubt whether he did, but that foolish way of saying today that, oh, I trust the Lord. Well, Paul says, we're going to work, and we're going to do it to show you an example. Oh, we are missionaries. We're going to earn our way, and we're going to do it so that you will understand, because he's going to make a point of this. He says, verse 10 now of Second Thessalonians 3, for even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, 
neither should he eat. And I love that. A believer who is looking for the Lord to come is not a dreamer. He's a worker. No work, no food is the rule laid down by the apostle. How absurd certain ones can be. I remember a man that had been the dean of man at Moody Bible Institute. This was years ago, probably 50 years ago. He told me this, and he told this to me at least 25 years ago. He said that when he was a young man, he'd been dean there, and there were two young men that roomed together. They were this type of hyper-saints, very sanctified, and they didn't come down for the morning breakfast, and they didn't come down to the dining room for lunch. And they didn't come down to the dining room for the evening meal. So this man decided, the dean of men, he'd go up and see what was the matter. So he went up, and they were just sitting in the room looking out into space. He asked them, were they sick? And they said, no, they weren't sick. He said, why haven't you come down to the meals? They said, we are now trusting the Lord for everything, and we are waiting for him to tell us whether we should go down and eat. Well, he said, are you hungry? And they said, yes, we're hungry. Well, he said, don't you imagine that that's one of the ways the Lord has of letting you know that you ought to go down and eat? No, we're waiting for special revelation from it, and we are not going to move until land. Well, he says, I have news for you. You're going to move, (laughs) but not down to the dining room. You're going to move out. We're going to get rid of you. And they got rid of him. The interesting thing is that today you can be a fanatic, friends, especially in the area of prophecy. And it's quite interesting that Paul has spent as much time, more than a chapter here, almost half of this epistle. fact of the matter is, he has spent half of this epistle on that which is practical. That is the great emphasis today. It's one thing today friends, to hold the truth of the coming of Christ for his church. It's another thing to get that meshed in and geared in to our living down here, to where it becomes practical. And that means working, you see. And it is that which should engage the attention of all of us. I always think of the story, it's a rather familiar story, of the man who was a gardener, and I think it had a much higher title than that of a largest state in Italy, in northern Italy. There was a castle there, and a visitor was there one day, and he was shown around the grounds. Everything was immaculate and just beautiful, and he never saw gardens so lovely. And he had lunch there, and the gardener was there and his wife, and he commended him for it. And the gardener, of course, thanked him for it. And he said, by the way, he says, why do you have this? Well, he says, I'm expecting the owner to come. Well, he says, that's wonderful. But he says, when was he here the last time? Well, he says, it was about 10 years ago. He said, you mean the owner hasn't been here in 10 years? He said, yes. He says, well, are you expecting him then? He said, yes. He says, are you expecting him probably next week? He said, oh, no, I'm expecting him today. 
But he didn't come that day. But you see, the man was living in the light of the coming of the owner. And that meant that he did what? He kept busy. He wasn't down at the gate looking through the pickets to see if the owner was coming. He was up there in that garden trimming and cutting and mowing and weeding and planting. That's the thing he was doing. He was busy. And that is what Paul's talking about here, is that we should be established in the work of the Lord in view of the fact that he is coming. And I can't think of anything more practical than this. Verse 10, For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. You see, they had a few fanatics there. Some of these fellows, they just withdrew themselves, and they're not going to do anything. They're going to look for the Lord to come. Well, Paul says, then don't feed them. They've got to go to work. I like that. Now, verse 11. For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busy bodies. Now, there were some that were not working at anything constructive. They were not interested in getting out the Word of God, but they were busy. They were busy bodies. And this word here means, friend, that they were really making a nuisance of themselves and that they were causing trouble in the church in Thessalonica. just takes one bad apple to spoil a barrel. And it's interesting, one little fly will spoil the ointment. And one sour puss church member can really affect the spiritual life of a great many people. And that's the reason Paul has said before that you're to withdraw yourself from the ones that walk disorderly. Now, you see, there were a few even in the Thessalonian church that were like this. And therefore, he makes it very clear that the busybodies here are the ones that he has in mind. They won't work, but they keep busy, but they keep busy doing the wrong thing. They were busy as termites and just about as effective in the church in Thessalonica. Now, verse 12. Now them that are such we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. Paul says to them, and this doesn't sound very spiritual, does it? Doesn't sound very theological. And these are things that for some strange reason today... They are not given in these little courses that are very popular. People like to go and go through a series that sort of peps them up. As one man said to me, he says, I need a shot in the arm. Well, I said, that's the reason these kids are taking drugs today. They want a shot in the arm. And a great many Christians like to get a spiritual shot in the arm. And at that, you're told several things. But I'd like to know, has anybody ever suggested that with quietness they work and eat their own bread? May I say to you, that would, I think, solve a great many questions and problems today in a great many churches. If those that are there that are busy bodies 
that are troublemakers, that with quietness they'd go to work, do something constructive. You wonder what those people do to get the Word of God out today. The biggest troublemaker I think I ever had in a church, and this came to me accidentally because I never checked up on anyone and what they gave financially, but it came to me accidentally because the treasurer was talking to me about the trouble this fellow had been. And I said to him, I said, I guess that he is a very generous giver, and he was a man of means, that because of that, that he naturally was interested in how his money was being spent. And this man looked at me and he laughed. He says, do you know that this man, he was a man of means, he says he gives $10 a year to the Lord's work. And I want to tell you, he caused more than $10 worth of trouble. I don't think he was worth $10 a year, to tell the truth. But Paul's very practical, friends. I'm sure I'm saying things that you don't hear much today, and I'm saying them because Paul said them. Now he says, "...but ye brethren, be not weary in well-doing." How wonderful this is. "...a believer who holds a blessed hope should not grow weary in working for the Lord." Or as Moody put it, he says, I get weary in the work, but not of the work. We ought to all get weary in the work of the Lord, but not weary of the work of the Lord. Be not weary in well-doing. Then he says, and if any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man and have no company with him that he may be ashamed. People ought to withdraw from troublemakers and churches. But many people, they more or less court their favor because they don't want them to talk about them, and knowing what a vicious tongue some of them have. But if the saints would withdraw from these gossips, it would be the best thing that could happen in many churches. Verse 15, "...yet count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother." Talk to him as a brother. Now, the Lord of peace himself give you peace always by all means, the Lord be with you all. Isn't that lovely? Now, Paul says, the salutation of Paul with mine own hand, which is the token in every epistle, so I write. Paul signed his name. Verse 18, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Wonderful letter that Paul has written here to the Thessalonians. Next time, my beloved, we will go to... Book of Jeremiah.